Welcome to Nobody Told Me That, your source for candid business talk and stories. Your host is speaker and author Teresa Duncan. Sit back, buckle up, and hang on. Thanks for listening. This is Teresa with another episode of Nobody Told Me That. I appreciate you all tuning in. Uh, This is going to be kind of a potpourri of questions here. It's just going to be me flying solo. And what I'd like to do is just go over a quick um, list of questions that I've been getting over and over again, and then give you an update on some of the things that I'm hearing out there. So uh, I get a lot of questions about the difference between fully funded and self-funded, because as you may be aware non-covered services are subject to state law and if you have a self-funded dental plan state law does not apply so let me let me start from the beginning so many of the states out there that who have passed a non-covered services law meaning that you can charge your full fee for services that are not listed or not typically covered by the plan uh, they usually are are subject to state law so that every law every state decides how they're going to set this so let's think of it from that perspective now when you have a plan who's not subject to your individual state laws then those non-covered services rules do not apply so for the typical insurance coordinator who's trying to figure out whether or not these non-covered services plans or non-covered services clause apply you have to ask what kind of company you're dealing with okay so self-funded plans are covered by a federal statute called ERISA, E-R-I-S-A, and I'm not going to go into the details on that, but basically ERISA is a law that um, that really mandates how self-funded plans are going to be run, and the reason why is because self-funded plans are exactly what they sound like. <clears throat> what I mean is that the the employer has a lot of money, and so they can plan to pay out claims from their own money. So the plan, I'm sorry, the employer itself will self-fund all of the claims. Now, as you can imagine, only the really big companies are able to do this. So ERISA, which is the state law, which is the federal law that mandates this, requires that there's a certain amount of money in reserves, that there's money set aside so that these claims don't, you know, don't go, a company wouldn't go bankrupt, basically. So it's it's really just outlaw, outlying, I'm sorry, it's... <laughs> outlining, this is my morning coffee taking effect here, it's outlining how these plans are to operate. So first things first, when you see an employer come in and the plan say is, I always use Boeing as an example, um, the plan is Boeing and maybe patient number two comes in and their plan is, you know, Millie's Florist, it's a local shop. Boeing obviously can put money aside, millions of dollars aside to self fund all their health insurance needs. Millie's florist probably doesn't have that kind of reserve and so they cannot afford to self-fund. So they do what's called fully funded. Now fully funded means they pay a premium to the insurance carrier and the insurance carrier administers and pays all of the the claims, but it's coming out of the insurance company's pocket. Okay? So so when you say fully funded, it means it's fully funded by the carrier. So self-funded, really large company, that is funded by the company itself. Um the what the 
employers actually paying a premium for is to have the company administer the policy. So in in this case with Boeing, for example, you would see on the insurance card, you would or the paperwork, because I know not a lot of us get the insurance cards nowadays. On the paperwork, it'll say benefits administered by, plan administered by, uh, third-party administrator, TPA, you might say, um, like for example, Delta acting as TPA, for Boeing. So that's a tip off that those are self-funded plans. Why that's important, let's close the loop on this. Why that's important is because when we want to inquire on whether or not we can apply our full fees because of non-covered services, if you have a Boeing coming in, those non-covered services laws that were set by your state do not apply to a self-funded because self-funded is regulated by ERISA, which is federal. So a lot of people are saying, well, this has gone above and beyond the, the you know, they're, they're not covering it. And so I can charge my full fee. The first question you should always ask is what type of plan is it? Because the answer is going to depend on that. So um, fully funded and self-funded, it's not an easy concept to get initially, but when you do it, it clicks. It's one of those things that clicks. Uh, it's just harder to pass the information on to everybody else in your office because you say something like ERISA and people just kind of tune out like, what is that? So uh, hopefully you can save this podcast and just replay it for them when you're trying to explain it to somebody. Okay, so let's move on to the next topic. I've just got a handful of topics here. So I uh, have, I just attended uh, a convention. It's the National Association of Dental Plans. I go every year because I want to keep up on what's going on in the industry. I always bring that information to you. One of the... One of the topics that really um, put me on alert because I, you know, I worry about what the workflow is going to be for you all as insurance coordinators. Uh, There is a Medicare Advantage plan, which is a Medicare supplemental plan. So um, a lot of people will hear Medicare and think, oh, well, we don't participate. But Medicare Advantage plans are typically administered by plans that you participate with. So, for example, this one plan in particular was is uh, designed by Humana. So many of you participate with Humana or take Humana in your office. You don't necessarily have to be a Medicare listed provider in order to um, take a Medicare Advantage plan. I just know that there's networks that go along with that. So chances are you are going to see a Medicare Advantage plan in the future because they really are popular. They're on the rise. This particular plan, they put up the information on the screen and they were looking at the plan design and I saw something that really just caught my eye because you know, have you ever seen something maybe in one of my classes where you just kind of did a double take and you're like, wait, that can't be right. I did the same thing in this class. So (laughs) not ashamed to say that I was a little bit, you know, jaw on the floor. And then of course you wake up out of your haze and you start scribbling and you start taking a picture. So you have it. This particular plan has a thousand dollar yearly benefit. So that looks pretty similar. That looks pretty easy, right? Like I look at that and go, okay, well, it's a low, low yearly benefit. We like to see 1250, 1500, but you know, we're, we're used to seeing a thousand too. So, but in smaller print, it said $250 per quarter. So I'm going to say that again, because I know you're like, wait, did she say that again? Let me read, let me rewind. No, no, no. You don't need to rewind. I'm going to say it again. 
$1,000 yearly benefit, but $250 per quarter is what they pay out. This is a perfect example of a cost containment measure. This is actually the most crystal clear example that I can, I can give you. Um, what this does is it gives the patient the $1,000, but it restricts them from paying out except for $250 once a quarter. So they get the full amount, but basically they're saying, we're going to pay this out once every three months. Well, we know from being in the dental office that when you do a procedure, it typically, you don't typically say, let's wait till next quarter for the next procedure. So let's imagine the scenario. You've got, you know, Joe Schmo coming in, he's got this plan. And um, let's just say it's a, it's a Medicare recipient because Joe Schmo is going to be older. This is a Medicare Advantage plan that I saw on the screen. So you've got him coming in. Uh, He hasn't had dental for a while because he's been on Medicare and they haven't been offered dental in so long. So now he's finally got dental benefits. He's very excited. You all have been through this before. So you look it up and it doesn't become clear right away that it's a thousand but 250 per quarter you just see a thousand and maybe your service that you outsource and they get the benefits maybe they don't go down to that specificity because we've never needed to before or maybe you calling or maybe you faxing you get the information it's not necessarily spelled out in that manner so I don't know how it's going to be spelled out but it's definitely something that we need to take a look at so Joe Schmo comes in he gets his cleaning uh, evaluation his radiographs all of that I mean depending on your set fee and your PPO fees, it could be anywhere, you know, let's just say 100 to 300. I mean, depending on on what you get done. Chances are, if he hasn't been to the dentist in a long time, that it's going to be the whole shebang. It's going to be the Pano. It's going to be the FMX. It's going to be bite wings. I mean, whatever you you all know, it's going to be comprehensive evaluation, which is the one of the most expensive evaluations because of its nature. And you may or may not do a, a cleaning that day. Many of you do. Many of you don't. So it, it depends. But you're going to your doctor is going to diagnose some stuff that's wrong. I mean, it's t- it's not you know, out of the realm that an elderly man with new dental insurance is going to have a lot of stuff going on. So uh, you're going to give them this information. You're going to tell them what they need to have done. And you're never going to say, well, you can only do this once every quarter. So I want you to get that. You're going to say your plan allows 250 per quarter. Let's work together to see how we can make this, you know, make sense for you. And, you know, maybe you, you pull in some third party financing, your care credit and all of that. It's, it's, I'm going to leave that to you, but I want to make clear that the conversation is we can't do anything except for once per quarter. That, that's not it. It's just that the patient's benefits do not allow for payment. You can go as fast or as slow as the patient wants the benefits are going to do what benefits do. So remember, we're not going to be insurance driven. You've taken my classes, not going to be insurance driven. We are going to be insurance friendly. Such a big difference. So let me just repeat that one more time, because if you're still shaking your head like I was, then, you know, you just need to hear it again and again for it to sink in and you go, oh my gosh, this is true. (laughs) So, okay. So it's a thousand dollar yearly benefit, but it will pay out $250 
per quarter. Oh, let me just tell you too. One of the um, one of the representatives from Henry Shine, which does Ascend, Dentrix Ascend, uh, Easy Dental, the regular Dentrix, all of the Henry Shine software products. One of the representatives was there. They always attend the meeting, and we just kind of looked. I I said, look, we we got to talk about this because the software that I'm familiar with it does not have it set up in quarters. So this will be a manual tracking. And that's uh, it's a little bit scary, I think. I mean, really, uh, to me, that's a little bit scary. Um, if I were on the front lines day in, day out, this is one of those plans that would absolutely catch up to me later. You know, we've most of us have been burned by a waiting period, and this is pretty much the same thing. So hopefully you do not... Uh, Hopefully you you catch this before it hits you. Um, And again, to reiterate, this was a Humana Medicare Advantage plan, but you know, insurance carriers like to compare plan designs. They keep an eye on what the other ones are doing because it's competition. So will you see this offered by other plans? I don't know, but it's worth keeping an eye out for. Okay, let's move to the next one, which is uh, something that Colleen Huff, my friend Colleen Huff, another insurance geek, you've probably heard some of the podcast eps with her. Um, Colleen called me and said, I need to talk to you about this because, you know, when Colleen calls me, it's always something good because, you know, we, we've, between us, we've seen a lot. <laughs> so when she says, you're not going to believe this, or she texts me that, I always like kind of perk up. I'm like, ooh, you know, rubbing my hands together. You guys know you're insurance geeks too. So she calls me and she says, I had this payment from MetLife, and I'm just going to paraphrase the conversation. I had this payment from MetLife. It, it turned, it, it made my deposit, you know, wrong. And she was reconciling it online, and we know when one of those goes wrong, the reconciliation number isn't there. It just takes forever to go through it and find that twenty cents, twenty dollars, one hundred and thirty dollars. It's, it's very frustrating. I know you all have been there, especially at the end of the day. You just want to go home, and there's these numbers just staring at you. Well, luckily for Colleen, this happened a little bit earlier in the day. So, but she did run into an issue where she was putting in some MetLife payments, and her deposit did not match up with what the EFT was saying. So she tracked it down. It was something small, like twenty four dollars. So she calls the uh, MetLife representative and says, "Hey." Hey, what's this? Can you walk me through this? And and the reps, you know, she went through about two reps and neither of them could really explain it. And then the final verdict on this, are you ready for this? This is one of those where you want to, you know, tell people in the car to shh because you want to hear this. Um, what the patient received, what, what was paid to the doctor was what they call an appreciation benefit an appreciation benefit. So what it is, is what was explained to Colleen is that, you know, the the company MetLife was paying a little bit extra to thank the patient for something. <laughs> so, uh, so they paid an extra $24, but there was no, um, there was nothing to tie it to the EOB. And so, you know, here's Colleen just calling, trying to find out where this extra amount is, but there's really nothing tying it. And so it was very, very frustrating. So, uh, but what's, what's more frustrating for me and, and for her too, is that there's the implications here where, because you, you're receiving this $24 and so it's reported as income to the patient. 
I'm sorry, to the doctor. It's reported as income to the doctor, but the patient is the one who receives this benefit. So, you know, what what do we do here? We're acting as a pass-through for this money, and I don't think that's right at all. So uh, what, you know, she's going to look into it. She's going to keep an eye out for it. I, I, I suppose in this situation, my advice would be to uh, return the money because I don't want it passing through you. But the problem with that is anytime that you send money back to the insurance carriers, they don't know what to do with it, and it ends up being an outstanding check. So what I, if I remember correctly, Colleen asked them to request a refund of the amount, but you know that may not even come. So uh, now comes the other issue: the patient sees this extra money coming. What if it wasn't twenty-four dollars? What if it was something crazy like five hundred dollars? Right? Um, the patient's going to see this, and they're going to think, "Well, that's my money." They probably got a more clear explanation of benefits. They're going to want their money, and you know now we're cutting a check so the money's passing through us and that's just not cool so stay tuned we're going to figure out what to do with that but keep an eye out for and this happened with MetLife keep an eye out for that uh, speaking with another friend of mine Jesse Eve she's up in upstate New York and she said oh my gosh I saw something like that like a year or two ago and it was really weird and it only happened one time so uh, Colleen has had it happen twice to her and Jesse up in upstate New York has had that happen once to her so this isn't upstate New York thing from what I'm hearing, but I'm guessing once I put this out on the podcast and in my newsletter, I may hear more about this from other people. I really hope that this doesn't catch on because what a pain in the butt as far as reconciliation. Okay. Uh, let's move on to the next one. Um, we are still, uh, we, me, I'm still hearing that people are dropping their secondary claims to paper to send in the uh, primary EOB, a copy of the primary EOB. So this is old school. This is so old school. So, you know, f- for those of you who don't really need to deal with secondary insurance, you lucky ducks, uh, what we typically do is when we get the primary in, uh, we put in the payment. All's good. We we generate the secondary claim, you know, if they have additional coverage. And then back in the day, we would just photocopy the primary EOB, print out the secondary claim and paper clip them together. Don't staple them. Never staple. We were kind of that was drilled into our heads. Don't staple paper, clip it together and then send it into the secondary carrier. Now that we have electronic attachments, we don't need to do that. You're going to scan that primary EOB in or if it's an if it's an online EOB an EF um, an ERA, that's electronic remittance advice. If you're looking at it online, what you do with both of those situations, either you scan it in or you're looking at it online, you just take a screenshot. So generate the claim, go in, create an attachment. The attachment is the screenshot of the primary EOB. Send that as an electronic attachment. Don't don't print. Anytime you drop something to print, pushes out our revenue cycle. There's a big chance of it being lost. Um, I always want to be able to track every single claim I send in. So electronic claims is the way to go for me. So uh, don't drop your claims to paper unless you absolutely, absolutely have to. And even then, if you drop it to paper, see if you can get a fax number so that you can fax it and you still have some sort of tracking on whether or not you sent that in. Um, Just as a side note, the only ones who I've really had to drop to paper are the very, very small um, union plans where there's just sweet old Betty that's the only one uh, paying out the claims and in that situation, Betty probably has a fax machine. So I uh, want you to, to send that in so that you have some sort of tracking. 
Okay, next topic. Uh, the question of the what to do with this third evaluation of the year. So let's let's set the scene. Uh, most benefit plans r- will reimburse two evaluations per year, and depending on the plan makeup, it's once every six months or twice per year, whatever coverage year that is, calendar year or coverage year. Uh, that's pretty much the standard. It's it's pretty rare to see anything differently. Um, so what do we do with the patient who comes in for their regular two cleanings and evaluations and maybe comes back in for a limited evaluation because there's a problem, maybe there's an abscess, there's a lesion, whatever. We're seeing them for a limited evaluation. Also, what if the patient is uh, has been treated with scaling and root planing? We've got them coming back in for their 4910s. Maybe the first year they have 4910s plus an eval every time. Uh, because their their situation requires it, then you've got three evals. So what do you do? How do you talk to the patient about this third evaluation? So I, I actually get this question quite frequently in class, not so much by mail um, or email, but but in class. You know, what do you say to the patient? And what it typically starts out with is, well, they only get two per year, and. That's true, but the underlying feeling when somebody says that to me is, um, we should only do two per year. And I'll hear that too, we can only do two per year. That's not that's not it, remember insurance friendly. The patient gets two evaluations per year, but that doesn't mean that they only need two per year. And so I always bring up the uh, the example of, if you go to a medical doctor for a visit, you know, say you have a chronic condition, every time you go, you will always get charged for an evaluation. That's just the way it goes. We provide a service. And honestly, the only time I would be okay with you not charging for a service is if the patient walked back there, sat down, no one looked in the mouth. It was just a quick, hey, how's it feeling? It's feeling okay. Okay, good. Everything's great. Maybe, maybe the doctor broke out a mirror to look inside. But once the bib goes on, the the gloves come out, there's a there's an evaluation going. To me, that's a chargeable issue. So, and, and I'll talk about that in a second. But how do you phrase that to the patient? So when the patient comes in, maybe they come in for their limited evaluation. Okay, so they're coming in and you know they've already used their two uh, evaluations per year. Tom, just to give you a heads up, you've already come in twice. We've done um, some of that. You've done two evaluations twice. Remember when you came in for your cleanings? Your plan is one of those that covers two per year only. And so this evaluation that we're going to do today is going to be out of pocket. So I just want to let you know before you come in so you don't get surprised. Now, the patient may be a little annoyed, sure, but it's not gonna be annoyed at you. It's going to be annoyed at the insurance carrier. And you know, and maybe they don't even be annoyed. Maybe, they, maybe they're maybe they aware of it. So again, let's talk about that. Let's go through that again. Tom, I, you've already been in twice for your cleaning. So just from experience, I know you've got only two evaluations that are paid out per year by your carrier. And so this one is going to count as an evaluation and it's, it's, you've already reached your frequency. So we're going to, that'll be, that'll be um, payable by you. We're going to ask for your co-payment amount or co-insurance amount. Um, Basically, you're telling them ahead of time, and I would even say, I just want you to know ahead of time so that you're not surprised. And and if you've read the book, uh, my book, Moving Your Patients to Yes, Easy Insurance Conversations, you've heard that, you've seen that all through there, that we the, the key is no surprises. Patients hate surprises. 
I don't blame them one bit. Money is something that we need to manage on a daily basis, right? So as a patient, I don't want to know that I have this huge amount outstanding. I'd rather get a heads up so I can plan for it. Okay, what do you do when you have two uh, two evaluations with the 4910s, but you know they're going to come back in for a third time because you've got them on an every four-month uh, plan? They're going to come in for the third one. So when they're in for the second one, um, and I, I'm going to put a little bit of work on you because you're the one that's going to be able to see this. So I want you to, again, to be the the translator to the patient of their plan. So, you know, uh, Tommy, this is your second evaluation. Next time you come in to see um, Katie, the third, there's going to be a third evaluation and you've reached your limit on those according to your plan. So just to give you a heads up, next time you come in, uh, the evaluation will be payable at the time of service. Oh, well, how much is the evaluation? It'll be, mm, I can't give you a, a price. I personally, Teresa, can't give you a price, but whatever you fill in the blanks, it will be, mm-mm-mm. Um, so we can certainly just collect that before the appointment or at the end of the appointment, but just to let you know, it's going to be due. Um, and then they'll say, well, do other plans cover, you know, more than three evaluations per year? And you'll say, well, you know, it depends on your experience. Maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. I personally have seen it. So I would say, um, actually I have seen it. It's not that common, but I have seen it. This two per year, Tom, is pretty standard. I have no problem saying that. It's pretty standard because, um, you know, this is typically what I see. People who are in your situation, again, I'm calling in, calling language back from the book, people who are in your situation typically find that they have to pay for the third evaluation out of pocket. So this is not abnormal. I would just wish it was better. Um, so that's, that's the language you're going to get. So the underlying theme through that whole batch of conversations about the 30 eval is applicable to when you run into any kind of limitation, which is, I understand this is your plan. I want to give you a heads up. Um, what we found is that your plan is not going to cover it. I just want to prepare you ahead of time. It does not mean we're not going to charge because it's not covered. And I, I will tell you, it's probably, according to my audience, it's probably 50-50 on the amount of dentists who, if they know it's not going to be covered by the plan, 50-50. The dentist will usually say, oh, no charge it. Don't worry about it. No charge. And I don't even want to think about how much we're leaving on the table on a yearly basis and maybe that's something you should track. If, if your doctor insists on writing off uh, an evaluation, why don't you start tracking it? You know, put it in zero fee. You should be tracking it anyways because you did it. It's document, documentation. You know, if it goes to court, um, the patient is going to say, I was in on this date. And if you don't have it in there, um, that's a problem. So, and I'll give you a quick example of that. They will look at your uh, appointment book and your appointment book will show an appointment for them. But if there's no corresponding clinical note because it was just a quick, quick look-see, then you're in trouble. So um, always bill for what you do. Don't be ashamed of your fees. If your fees are set well, that's what they are. Don't be ashamed of them. Um, if anything, I'm going to go out on a limb and say most of you have don't have competitive fees. Um, your fee-for-service schedule is probably not as competitive simply because I find that most people, most offices don't raise their fees on a yearly basis. So cost of living, three to 5%. 
you got to make sure you work that in there. Uh, everything else has gone up three to five percent. Your fees also should be going up three to five percent. Okay, let me talk to you about the very last situation, and then um, then we'll wrap this up. This is a, just a mini episode here. So the the last situation is something that really um, broke my heart. I got a call from a doctor uh, out of state and. We were talking and he says, you know, I really got this issue. I got a problem. I'm a little bit embarrassed to tell you about it. I, I, I know. And, and what makes it worse is this, is this is not even an original call. This is something I probably get three to four times a year. So, um, I, once he started talking, I knew where he was going with it. So, uh, doctors taking a look at his insurance, uh, situation, he's, he's looking at the numbers in this situation. It was the first time he'd really run these reports. He kind of thought something was off. And so for my doctors and managers in the in, that are listening, what I need you to do is really think about, you know, do I have a red flag about this? What's, why do I keep thinking something's off here? You need to pay attention to that. That's, that's your, inner insurance lizard brain that's waking up and telling you, hey, you need to take a look at that. So in this situation, the doctor was um, just thought something was off with the numbers. You know, the, his employee had actually had some work done and, you know, she had insurance. She had dental insurance through her spouse. And so, um, but but he's not charging her. So, you know, every most of you give some sort of dental benefit to your employees. And so he did the work, but he did not charge her because this was part of her benefits. And um and some of you will will claim it to the insurance carrier, maybe not, but but on, let's talk about that in a second. But here in this situation, um, it was free to her, zeroed out. Uh, they had put it in. The adjustment was employee benefit, so they could track it, of course. And you know, life goes on. So a couple months down the road, you know, happens again. Has a crown. Do the crown. Goes to the goes to employee benefit. So. That's fine. Well, employees acting a little odd, you know, doctors feeling something's up, um, has a hunch and calls the insurance carrier, the, the employee's insurance carrier and checks to see if there's any claims for those data services. And sure enough, there are claims for those data services and the assignment of benefits has gone to, you guessed it, to the insurance coordinator. So, uh, you know, if you've ever been in this situation, I feel for you, you know what, you know what I'm, I'm talking about here, but to prepare those of you who have not been in that situation where you you find a betrayal, um, it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks because there's going to be this first, you know, and pardon my language, it's going to be this first, oh shit moment, um, where did I really see this? And then you give the benefit of the doubt and then you keep looking and then you realize, oh my gosh, this is exactly what it is. And, um, then you start freaking out because you you can't this is not something when you catch fraud this is not something you go okay we'll rehabilitate her she or him she, the, it, the person needs to go this is definitely an actionable fireable offense then you're thinking I know what you're thinking because I would think this too oh my gosh I gotta hire somebody else for this position that sucks because we know the workforce is kind of it's kind of sparse these days and then the second thing that's really going to hit you is oh my gosh I have to fire this person you know I don't care how long you've been 
doing this. Firing a person is hard. Firing somebody that you've worked with for years is very difficult. And so we could probably talk about that on another episode. You know, how do you build up to that? So the doctor did what was very smart, called his lawyer, uh, his HR lawyer, checked with it, figured out what was going on there, um, called and talked to me because he was concerned with the legalities of the claim form. So let me talk about that for a second. The claim form, when you send it in electronically, first of all, that's a federal thing, right? It's mail fraud, um, mailed, going through electronic, that's mail fraud, that's a problem, right? So the claim form, when it's completed and sent in, states at the bottom, I certify that procedures are in progress or have been completed. And the name on the claim form is the dentist. It's not this person. It's not me. It's it's the dentist. And so who is liable for any fraud that happens? The dentist, of course, because there's that legal document, the claim form. Now, there have been cases of uh, managers and insurance coordinators being prosecuted for fraud. And, and honestly, I, I think that's great because if they're committing the fraud, they need to be caught and they need to have actions taken against them. In this situation, this was not, of course, he did not know about it. So my advice to him was in this situation, after the firing, he he needs to call and talk to the insurance carrier and he needs to specifically ask for the fraud department. So what he'll do then is to say, I suspect that my employee has been receiving benefits and I just need to let you know about this. I need to let you know that I did not authorize the filing of these claims. And there's probably some paperwork that he's going to have to fill out on that. But what that does is it's reporting the information. You're going to ask for the claims to be reviewed and uh, that way it gets you off the hook. So there's a trail of you reporting it. So that's good. And then um, if there's any kind kind of compensation coming from the patient to the insurance company, that's going to go directly between them. Because at that point, it's a fraud situation that the carrier is definitely going to take a look at. Believe me, insurance carriers perk up with fraud. So I I was very gutted for this dentist because you could hear in his voice the real, um, the pain. And I know this dentist and, and she's been with him a long time. And it just... It was an interesting thing to hear. It was a heartbreaking thing to hear. But doctors and managers, this is not abnormal. You have somebody in a position for a long time. They know the ins and outs. They start to take liberties. My guess is she's been doing this for a while, and it's been some really nice extra money on the side that, of course, nobody would know about because nobody was looking at it. And it's not that he was a bad manager. It's not like he was a bad dentist. Um, He paid attention to the red flags in his gut, but... Uh, you know, he needed somebody to, from an outside source to give him an idea of what to happen, you know, what the steps were. And then also he needed a second set of eyes. And in this situation, the manager at the office was the one who, you know, took a look at things with them. And together they decided this is what's happening. We need to let this person go. We need to get the lawyers involved. We need to call the fraud department. So a lot of steps there. And as you can imagine, doctor has a full schedule. Doctor is trying to do a full day's worth of work. The manager's duties don't go away um, after this. In fact, her duties are probably going to increase because now she has to do the job of the insurance coordinator. And not to mention, now we got to look for another insurance coordinator. And we all know that's not an easy job to train. So um, very, very sad situation. And as a manager, 
You know, it's not just, we hear a lot about managers stealing from dentists, and I hate to say it, but that's typically the case. But as we grow in the industry, the manager is the one who's really watching all of the transactions in the office. Yes, doctors, that doesn't get you off the hook, but typically if you have a manager and it's a sizable office, the manager is the one in charge of looking for this stuff. And and I really need our industry to sit up and say, stop talking about fraud and keeping this information from managers because I know what it is. A lot of the fraud experts out there don't want to give these courses because they don't want to basically lay out the blueprint to the managers on how to steal. But I, being a manager for many years, and and I would want to know these things. I want to know how to protect my office, my employer from fraud committed by employees. And so hopefully this, you know, if this made your stomach turn a little bit because you're kind of thinking that's what's going on here. Um, you might want to just look into it, take a look at the, um, the any claims that were that were filed. You may want to just give a call to the insurance carrier. Um, typically, you have access to the online portal, so you can go in and take a look at what has been submitted on your behalf under your tax ID number and PI number. Um, and hopefully you find Absolutely nothing. That's my hope. So gave you a whole bunch of that potpourri for sure today. Um, and just want to remind you that every year I do a coding update webinar. Next year, of course, 2020, we got a lot of codes, you know, some 30 something codes that we need to take a look at, ton of ortho codes. So I want you to mark your calendar and I'll put the, the registration link because registration is already open and it's hopping. Um, the registration link for my 2020 coding update webinar is going to be January 7th. It's the first Tuesday in the month. That's typically when we hold it. And it's going to be held again by wonderful NEA National Electronic Attachments. They've always hosted it. It is free to attend. Um, We just believe in bringing this information to you so that you can start your year out right. If you missed the 2019 webinar, I'll stick a link in show notes as well. But you can always find my older webinars um, on the, of course, Odyssey Management website. So I hope I gave you some food for thought for today. Uh, Go back and share this with your friends. If you're uh, online and you see any groups or any people that you think need to hear all of this stuff that I gave you, um, feel free to share my information. And wherever you listen to your podcast, I would appreciate a rating, a review. Um, Hopefully this is always, always very helpful for you. Until the next podcast, take care. Subscribe to this podcast so you'll get our next candid discussion. Visit Teresa's website, odysseymgmt.com that's odysseymgmt.com for more information on Teresa's courses books and speaking schedule subscribe to her newsletter while you're there don't say we didn't tell you that